Anne's Kahani is about a woman who is in an arranged marriage to a man, but is in love with another woman. My parents are telling me it's time to get married. They've found me an eligible bachelor from abroad. When you are settled, we can feel good, they say. Them feeling good is depending on me getting married. And once I'm settled, my parents will feel like they've done a good job as parents. As long as I'm not married, I will be judged. My parents will be judged. There's a lot to judge about me. I don't need to get married, I tell them. I don't think marriage is for me. They say I don't know, but having a companion is important for old age and that I will need a man to take care of me. I agree that having a companion is important to be with someone you love, share life with, have a family with, grow old with. It's all something I want, but not the way they want it. I feel completely different. No one really understood me. I walked to the beat of my own drum, a creative, always writing in my book, always daydreaming in my head. I didn't fit in with the other girls. I didn't feel I could contribute anything to what they said, and no one really talked to me. I never really looked up at anyone or made eye contact always keeping my head down. I just didn't belong. No one really got me, except her. One day in English literature, my favorite class, she said, hey you, I see you. What are you writing about all the time? No one ever asked before. Me, how, how do you know I'm writing all the time? I'm studying. No, you're not. How do you know? I can tell by the look in your eyes, you're somewhere else looking off into the sky. You're in a daze, a faraway place in your head. Where are you? No one looked at me. I was the shy sister. I never had friends, relating more to the characters in stories I read or ones I'd create. I got lost reading novels all the time and kept a diary. She was right, I love to write. I'd write at school during study period when most girls were gossiping about boys. Outside every day during break, I'd sit under a big oak tree alone and write. It was so comforting. Leaning against the bark, sitting in between the roots. It was like it was protecting me. I'd write in it all day. It was my world, my escape my fantasy land, where I wrote stories about being the popular girl in love or about being a princess for a day with all the power in the world. I'd write in it any chance I could to continue my story, the one in my head, the one in my diary. I see you, she said, and you see me too. We're different. She was bold, she wasn't shy, and I liked it. Her parents dropped her off at boarding school but never came back to pick her up. She ended up having to live there. I asked her if she was sad. She said, no, Bagel. She said, I'm free. <laughs> she was so strong. I wasn't sure if I believed her, but I didn't ask. She loved the Greek poet Sappho 
and I shortly did too. We both became obsessed with her. She would secretly write her poetry in my diary and I would write her a poem back, leaving it on my desk for her to read. It was our secret language to each other, all about Sappho's longing for her loves that she could not have because they were taken with men. Our poems were for Sappho and for each other. Sappho is a genius, a beautiful poet, a goddess full of passion. She called her our muse. Women naturally have a pure connection to each other, she'd say. Why ruin it? The connection we had, the love and desire for each other, it was undeniable. It was hypnotic. We toyed with the thoughts of telling our families. We fantasized about being open about who we were, but I was haunted by what our parents would say. It's a sin. It's against our religion. Get her married quickly and this will go away. Have you no shame? Why are you doing this to us? Have we not been good parents? What will people say? Did we not raise you properly? We should have kept her in the house and not sent her away. Let's tell them, she would say. We should be able to be ourselves. Let's run away to our island like Sappho did. It's our lives. But is it? Telling them, what would that mean? This would kill Papaji for sure. They would never support me. How could my parents survive? What would people say to them? Or even worse, say to each other behind their backs. They would be excommunicated, hang their heads low. They would never forgive me. How could I do this to them? They never abandoned me. How would this affect my older sister and brother? No, 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 I can't do this. This is wrong. People will talk. They already do about my grandmother. I don't know how she died, but I heard rumors she committed suicide, that she had mental health issues and was locked up somewhere. They said she was boggled, crazy. She was really pretty. The only picture I've seen of her has a smudge on her face. Someone said I look like her. I smiled and thought that's okay. Maybe she wasn't crazy after all, but couldn't handle all the craziness around her. And she escaped. My father never talks about it, but I heard from my mom and aunts call her Bichari. Poor thing. My only cousin, Sita, the one who was my best friend, wasn't allowed to visit me anymore. We used to spend so much time together every weekend, and then it all stopped. My sister said it's because her mom tried to touch my mom. My mom never spoke about it, but got angry when I asked where she was. And then I heard on the bus on the way to school people an auntie, an uncle, talking about a woman who had been murdered. 
Her cousin shot her. I was horrified. I pretended I couldn't hear. They justified this by saying, what do you expect? She was going around doing Gandhi things. She was dirty. I looked down and wrote in my book. Parents feared what their children would learn from these women. Religious leaders even went into her home and, and tried to cast out the evil. The cousin felt it was necessary to get rid of her for the community. He said it was his duty. They agreed it was the right thing to do, get rid of her. As the days went on, the rumors spread. I heard them all around me. Whispers on the bus, in the hallways at school, even in the classroom. Some say she was raped by her cousin in order to get better. Some said she was stoned. Some said she was beaten and her body parts were cut up. Others believed she was burned alive. Bichari. That happened 10 years ago. I never forgot that story. I can hear him banging on the door. I lock myself in my bathroom again. If I turn on the tap, I'll drown out the sound. That's better. I look in the mirror and stare at the new bruise on my cheek. The skin is red. I can see dark lines forming underneath it, like the rising roots of a tree taking over my face. Huh, like the tree I used to sit under to write. My tree. I know it hurts, but I can't feel it. What's happened to me? How did I get to this point? This life sentence began five years ago when I got married to the man my parents chose for me. One day when I came home from school, my mom was standing there in my room. Sharamniyati. Look what I found, my sister said. I gave it to my mom. It was my diary. came from a good family and had a prestigious job and was well educated. He was supposed to provide a good future for me and bring my parents to Canada. Instead, he doesn't allow me to leave the house without his permission. I have no say about the finances. I have to ask him for money to buy groceries and can juice even make sure I give him the receipts took away what my parents had saved for me and does not allow me to work. I haven't seen my parents since I moved here and when I do talk to them over the phone, he watches, he watches me to make sure I tell them everything is okay. I am beginning to feel the sting of the bruise and when I look closely, I can see an imprint of a fist. This happens every time he drinks. Every time he brings up what he overheard that day after the wedding. That day he picked up the phone and was listening to me as I was speaking to her. The day I spoke to her for the very last time. I can still hear her crying. 
I'd never seen or heard her like that before. As we are talking, I stare down at my mandi on my hands. It's dark red and reminds me of the color of her lips. She's begging, don't leave, don't go through with it. She says she loves me and that no one should come between us, begging me to run away with her. She doesn't care that I've been with him the night before, doesn't care that I've been with somebody else. She needs me and I know I feel the same way. Oh no, he's here in the room holding the other phone. He's heard us. How much did he know? Before I can even say anything, he's yelling, you dirty whore, and throws me onto the floor. I move my hand to my cheek, and when he pulls it back, I see that my dark red mandy is now covered in blood. I'll wait in here like usual until he wakes up from passing out. My head is spinning. I should open the window. I can smell the neighbor's freshly cut grass. It smells like spring. Reminds me of the Barsad season. Oh, the rain. Reminds me of the time I was in boarding school when I used to listen to the sound of the rain against my windowsill where I met her. She seemed much more mature than all the other girls, the rebellious type, especially for St. Mary's. I saw the way everyone looked at her like she was a bad girl. I saw her, the real her. I thought she was brave. I was captivated by the way she acted because it was a change from what I'd been taught on how to be a good girl, free from sin. I could see a bra strap underneath her white gorta and the outline of the buckle that held the cloth together so tightly. I remember the way she even tied her red dupatta. She was so bold. My mom never let me wear an older woman's bra. She made me wear two really tight undershirts. They were so afraid of me becoming a woman. But she was already a woman to me. I remember our teacher, Mrs. Helen, asked us if we knew what menses was. She was the only one to speak up. Yes, miss, it's a period. We used to meet in the library and look for books on Sappho where everyone would whisper, she used to say in a loud voice that women needed to be more independent. She didn't even whisper or care when the librarian told us to mind our language. She would grab my hand through the books and hold it tightly. Don't let go, she said. Since the night of the phone call, all he does is call me names. He says, I am unnatural and sick. He forces himself onto me. And when I beg him to stop, he tells me that he can cure me of my disease. He tells me that I am lucky to have him because no one would marry me if they knew the truth. 
When I try and defend myself, he threatens to bring shame to my family, so I have no choice but to lie there and get lost in the designs on the ceiling. I just can't get that scene out of my mind. We were in the middle of yet another argument. Mom had called me earlier that day to tell me dad had fallen ill with pneumonia. I wanted so badly to go home and visit my parents and I was begging him to let me go. I told him I needed to be back with my family and he said no. For the first time ever, I yelled back. I told him, you disgust me. He said, I disgust you. You're the one who's disgusting. You're the fucking bitch fucker. You're the one who's disgusting. I know why you want to go back. He was crazy. I could feel the spit on my face. I moved my hands to my face to wipe the spit and he grabbed my wrists and started to pull me. He dragged me into the bedroom. It was then that he raped me. I focus on my spot in the ceiling. It's always the same spot. The banging is starting to get louder on the door. I stay quiet as I move to the floor. The banging, the banging. Mummy has fallen to the floor. My heart stops as I run towards her. I shouldn't have made her angry. I just couldn't help it. I, I had to try to say no to the wedding at least once. I was trying to be brave. I was trying, but she kept crying. It was my fault. She had fallen. How could I do this to her? As I open my eyes, I see the tiny glass squares on the floor tiles so clearly. I love these tiles. Mosaic. I always secretly loved mosaics because they remind me of ancient Greece. Huh. Where Sappho lived. He said I was crazy over them. Hmm. There are so many tiny squares on these tiles that make up larger swirls, like the flowing hair of a woman. I take my finger to touch the swirl in a continuing circular motion. Slowly, slowly, glass shards are coming from the center tile. If I lift it up and it falls apart, it's broken. All these tiny lines in this thing, who cut them? Where do they start and where's the end? It must stop somewhere. The tile feels cold to touch. I run my finger over the edge and feel a crack. I feel drawn to this crack as it has the ability to break apart the swirl. Ah, oh, that loud noise in my head, when will it stop? 
I slowly lift another tile from the ground. It breaks apart in my hands. I hold it tight. Never let go, she said. I squeeze harder and feel the glass cut into me even deeper. I stare at the blood, dark red. I feel the bruise on my cheek starting to burn. I hate my life. I, I hate myself. I hate the choices that I have been forced to make. Never let go, she said. Boggle. As the banging on the door begins to get louder and the doorknob is shaking loudly, I reach for the sharp edge of the tile and slash it across my wrist. 